glad you guys are here this morning. We're talking about our Work Matters series. Work is so incredibly important. Work is the thing you will spend the most time doing other than sleeping in your entire life. And now that we're all depressed, let's just pray and go home. Uh, You are gonna work, and so you've gotta get your work sorted out. Now today we're talking about financial peace because your finances are tied to your work, are they not? Hopefully your job is paying you. Hopefully, some of you are in college and you're interns, and maybe someday you'll get paid. There's hope. There's hope. But work is tied to our finances. And sometimes people even make bad job decisions because of their finances. You get into this place where your finances are out of order. You don't have peace in your finances. And so you say, oh, I need a better job. And so you start making decisions about your work life based on your out-of-control financial life. Uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, which we're giving away the book a little bit later, he calls that trying to out-earn your stupid and we've, we've all done it from time to time. But here's the deal. As a society, we don't live with financial peace. But you can have financial peace in your life. It's absolutely possible for you. I can't promise you today that you're going to be rich, but I can promise you that you can live with financial peace in your life. And that's what I want to get to. That's why in just a few minutes, I'm going to be talking to you about five secret principles from the Bible, five secrets of financial peace that are in the Bible. They're accessible to anybody. And we're going to go through those. But financial peace is something that every single person in our society struggles with, right? When you can't pay your bills, you ever been in that place? I'm not going to say whether I've ever been in that place or not, where you have to decide which bill to pay, Oh, it's a brutal feeling. You ever stayed up at night wondering how you're gonna, how you're gonna do it? You ever, you, you know that, that crushing feeling when you realize that you, you know, you, you, you gra- sometimes you graduate, you look at your student loans, and you realize, my grandchildren will probably be paying my student loans. You just have so much debt, it's increasing, and the stress that that causes in your life, the strain that ca- that causes in your life, a lack of financial peace destroys marriages. Let's do a little quiz. Uh, What is the number one thing couples fight about that causes divorce? It's money. It's money. Financial peace is a serious issue. And before we get into these biblical principles, though, we need to dispel a myth. Because most people think financial peace is about having more money. If I had more money, then I would live in financial peace. But here's, here's the truth for you. Financial peace is not about how much you make. It's about how you manage what you make. Financial peace is not about how much you make. It is about how you manage what you make. And the reason I know that is because there are rich people in this world who are incredibly anxious and worried about their money who have no peace. And there are incredibly poor people in this world who have great peace that they will have enough to live on that they will be provided for. Financial peace is not about how much you make. It's a good thing nobody's sitting on the front row. I'm spitting on people here. Financial peace is not about how much you make. It is about how you manage what you make. And so we've got to get to this place in our lives where money is not running our lives Like our finances are not running our lives, we are running our financial life. You you ever ever felt like that? Where where you get to that question where you say, am I running my finances or are my finances running me? And before you even get paid, you know where every dollar has to go because of all of the obligations that you have. So let's look, take out your uh, message notes today because we're gonna do a little diagnosis on financial peace, it's on the front there. And before we fill in the blanks, I want to share with you this verse from Proverbs 13, 7. 
I, I, I love this, version, this uh, version. It says, one person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another person pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. You know what that means? It means that financial peace is not correlated with how much you make. Not exactly. Because you might make a lot, but spend more than you make. You might look rich, but manage it poorly and have no peace. Another person might make much less, but they live beneath their means. They manage it well, so they have peace. It's not about how much you make, but about how you manage what you make. Now, let's look at the blanks on the front of your message notes here. It looks like this. It's on the front page. For a diagnosis about are you living in financial peace? I'm in financial peace when, number one, I can pay my bills. How simple is that? (laughs) You know, what's the opposite of that? You can't pay your bills. You don't know if you're going to have enough. You have to decide which bills to pay, which ones later. I should pay that one first. I'm in financial peace when my debt is decreasing. Those of you who are, have taken on student loans and you're in school right now, I'm sorry. It's not a good feeling, is it? Yeah, I'm looking at you. No, I, it's, it's just, it's not a good feeling when your debt is increasing, but you're in financial peace when it's decreasing. Financial peace is uh, when what I've saved is increasing. If, if, I have to, if, I, if I were to ask you, how much do you have saved? And you said, hold on, let me check my checking account. That's not... That's not good. That's not savings increasing, right? I'm in financial peace when I can plan for the future. When you don't have financial peace in your life, you can't even make plans. You live paycheck to paycheck, and you live with the constant anxiety of what would happen if I lost my job. It, it affects your work life. Like, I can't even quit this job to go find a different, I, I don't know what I would do. I'm in financial peace when I can give in a God-honoring way. You know, the flip side of that is sometimes you want to give and you can't give. That's a terrible feeling. Lastly, I'm in financial peace when how much I own doesn't define me. There's no peace in your life when you confuse your self-worth and your net worth. When you make a lot and you think you're successful and you lose a lot and you think you're not successful and you look at somebody who's made more than you and you think, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life. There's no peace in that. But there's peace where, when how much I own doesn't define me. And that's how, that's how you can see here through these examples. You know, take a look at your own life. Am I living in financial peace? But it helps you to understand that, that this is not just a money issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is a spiritual issue. Jesus talks a lot about money in the Bible. And according to Jesus, one of the main reasons he gives us money is to teach us to be responsible for things that are more important than money. Look at this verse uh, from Jesus, Luke 16. He says, if you are untrustworthy about worldly worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now think about that. God gives you money as a test to see whether you are trustworthy with things more important than money. And the question for all of us is, how am I doing with this test God has given me? I mean, what, what if at the end of your life, You know, you turn from your sins to follow Jesus. And so you die, you go to heaven, you say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm ready to contribute to heaven. What am I going to be responsible for in heaven? I want a great job, right? Like, I don't know if anybody has to clean the bathrooms in heaven. I'm thinking probably not, but that's not the job I want. I want big responsibility. Jesus, what do I do? And he says, oh, well, let me see your bank statements. For some of us, that's what I call an oh crap moment, right? God gives us money as a test to see if we can be trusted with more important things. And then here's the last 
the last reason that it's so important before we dig into these principles is I think that most people generally want to be generous, especially when you've, tur- when, you're, when you've turned from your sin to follow Jesus. You follow this incredibly generous God, and you want to be generous. But we all know the pain of wanting to be generous, but we just can't help. When you aren't living in financial peace, you don't have the means set aside to help and be generous in the way that you want to. So you have to put these principles in place in your life so that you can live that spiritual life that you want to live and be the generous person that you want to be. Financial peace is important. And when you get this right, the stress level in your life decreases. You can be as generous as you want to be, and you're preparing yourself for eternity. So with that in mind, let's look five biblical secrets to finding financial peace. This is on the inside of your notes. And here's the first one. Keep good records. Write that down. Keep good records. It can be on paper. It can be in the Mint app, which is what I use. You can use an abacus for all I care. But you have got to be knowing where your money is going. Let that stick with you. And and this comes directly out of the scriptures. I love the way that the Living Bible paraphrases it. Proverbs 27, 24. Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Know the, state, now that, know the state of your flocks and herds. That's a, that's a farming metaphor, right? That's agricultural. And to my knowledge, no one here has any flocks or herds except probably a couple of hippies from JP that have some chickens in their backyard, right? But for the rest of us, right, what does that mean? It means you've got to know the status of your business interests. How much money do you make on a monthly basis, right? Um, what do I owe? What percentage interest rate do I pay on what I owe, You have to have good records of your business interests. This is a biblical principle. You cannot have financial peace if you don't know. The anxiety of not knowing will kill you if you have no idea the state of your flocks, if you don't keep good records. Um, When you find good records, I found that oftentimes when you start to do this, that you're shocked by what you find. I found a story this week online from a, a certified financial planner, and he, he had to get his roof replaced, and so this financial planner was talking to his roofer. Let me read to you as he recounts their conversation. He said, we were looking at replacing our roof thanks to some hail damage this past summer. Over the course of several conversations, the roofer and I built a rapport, and I shared with him what I do for a living, financial planner. He then opened up by telling me he and his wife needed help with their money, and then he lowered the boom. My wife and I spent over $30,000 eating out last year. The size of his family, his wife, their young daughter, and himself. Not believing him, I asked if he was sure of that, to which he said, yes, my wife and I just finished going through our credit card statements last week. He ended the conversation by sharing that he and his wife make good money but don't seem to have much left at the end of the month. You have to keep good records, and looking at your credit card statements once a year is that does not count as keeping good records. Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the facts at any price. Another, another translation of that says, buy wisdom and do not sell it. It is worth anything. It's worth any cost. It's worth any amount of emotional or psychological pain for you to know the reality of your situation and keep good records. Now, just speaking personally for a second, 
What's worked well for Heather and I over the years is that um, we see every transaction that each other makes, and we review it periodically. Once a month seems to work well. So there are no secrets. We see every single transaction that's made, and then there's accountability, there's record-keeping, and we can face our financial decisions. Most people don't do this. Do you know why? Because it's painful to face when we've been irresponsible with our money, and we don't want to look at it. But the longer you don't look at it, the more likely it is to spiral, snowball out of control into a problem you cannot attack. So you have to take a hard look at it. And this is actually one of the things I love about the Christian faith, is that as a Christian, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God wipes away your sin. He wipes away your past mistakes, your past intentional sins. He gives you life and courage and strength and grace in the present. He promises you a hope and a future. And so you have the strength you need to look at the difficult situations and the bad choices you've made in your life and then move in a different direction. That's the the strength that God gives you for that. And so in Christianity, your self-worth is not based on your net worth. And so you have the the grace you need to dig in and keep good records. When this happens, you can have peace. You lose the anxiety of not knowing where things stand. So the first point today is keep good records. Here's um, Here's the second principle from the Bible for financial peace. Plan my spending. If you don't tell your money where to go, it just goes. You get to the end of the month and you say, where's all my money? Well, you didn't tell the money where to go, so it just went. And you get to the end of the month and it's all gone. Every single dollar you make needs to have a job. This is part of the the biblical ideas around money is that you take responsibility for your money, that money serves the higher purposes of your life. You don't serve your money. Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So many of you are working so hard at your job to make a living, and you have all this money coming in. But without Without the the good planning that goes with the hard work, you end up in financial anxiety instead of financial peace. You've got to have you have to have a plan, and a financial plan is called a budget. The B word. Nobody wants to talk about it. Even fewer people want to do it. But you've got to have it. And you know, this is one of those things that today, as we talk about these principles, this is not a financial seminar. These are just principles from the scripture that work across times and places and cultures. There's still some hard skills that you've got to go out there and learn, and this is one of them. And here's the good news, though. There's plenty of people that know how to do this. If you were to go to your community group and say, I need some help with this, chances are someone in your community group is great with budgeting and could help you. You can go down to Capital One Cafe and go to a budgeting seminar. I mean, it's not going to have godly priorities, but they'll at least teach you some hard skills. You can reach out to the Dave Ramsey organization. We have accountants in our church. I'm looking at two of them right now. Like, you, you know, there are people who can absolutely help you develop these skills. But however you do it, you've got to have a budget. And here's a couple of principles for a good budget. First, a good budget is a matter of prayer. We had our guest worship leader, Ricky, today. Can you guys give a hand to Ricky for... He's from one of our partner churches in North Carolina. Ricky, we would keep you if we could. Don't let Pastor Dickie know down in North Carolina. But um, 
keep praying with us about uh, finding a, a, a long-term worship leader for our church. But what if I took all of my money and I gave it to Ricky and I said, Ricky, I want you to manage all my money. Here it is. I put it in a big bag or little bag, depending. And I said, here, here you go. And Ricky said, all right, thanks. And he just rolled out the door. I say, hold on a second. Shouldn't you ask me some questions about how to manage my money? Shouldn't you ask me how to spend it, how to invest it, how to save, like what you should do with my money? But so many of us, this is exactly what we do with God. God gives us all this money that he entrusts to us, and we go, thanks, and we just walk out the door. We never pause and say, God, how do you want me to spend this money? How do you want me to invest this money? What are the things that you care about? How do you, how do you want me to manage this? Prayer is asking God, how do you want me to manage the resources that you've entrusted me with? So a good budget is a matter of prayer. And, and again, that's something they're not going to teach you at Capital One Cafe. I just don't think that's happening over there. A good budget is based on godly goals. That's the second thing. Worldly budgets are set based on comfort and status. How is this going to make me feel better or feel good? And how is this going to make me look? But godly goals ensure that our financial life lines up with our spiritual priorities. Worldly goals are about what we want to own or I only want to fly first class or I only want the nicest cashmere to touch my skin. I mean, it's like, I, I don't actually know whose goal that is. If that's you, that's kind of weird. I'm just saying. <laughs> weird. <laughs> but godly goals reflect God's heart. I actually, um, I went through this goal setting thing for myself a couple years ago. And one of the goals I have is to give away $100,000 in one year. Now, I've never made six figures before, so I don't know how we're going to get there. But, I, but there is a way to set goals that align with God's priorities. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever set a giving goal for yourself? To say, I want to I be a person who is extraordinarily generous. I mean, I, we set goals in everything else in our lives. Why not set goals that make us more like God? A good budget is based on godly goals. Here's the third thing. A good budget is a mutual decision if you're married. Married people, can we see some hands? Who's married in here? Who wants to be married in here? We can, we can hook some people up right now. <laughs> if you are, okay, if you are single and you have a job and you have no debt, we are, you are gonna meet outside this door after the service and we're just, we'll be doing weddings on the spot. Now, let me save a marriage <laughs> right, in, right now. You guys ready? I'm gonna save a marriage right now. Or a future marriage. You can either... Decide what you're going to do with money now, or you can fight about what you did with money later. Where's the amen? I mean, that was you guys. You, you can either, no, it's true though. You can either decide what you're going to do with money now, or you can fight about what you did with money later. A good budget is a mutual decision. And if you're single here, let me say this, because this is, because uh, it's about to get real. Um, no one wants to marry debt. And it's so often that we don't talk about that. It's like we just, we, we, we get, people get engaged and we say, I do. And we, we realize that that, that that beautiful man in his tuxedo that looks so amazing also comes with $10,000 of high interest credit card debt. No, thank you. <laughs> um, part of getting ready to get married is getting your financial life in order. That's part of it is learning to live as a responsible grown-up, right? Like hashtag adulting. That's the thing. So a good budget is a mutual decision. 
Now, most people don't do this. Most people don't budget and don't plan their spending because they spend their money because in a way that, they, that helps them deal with stress. You, you, you know, we feel stressed out, and so we go out to eat so I can feel better. You know, we, feel, we feel stressed out, and so we go shopping so we can feel better. Click, 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 $1,000. You know, we're, we're a little bit lazy with it, and so we just order an Uber and a Lyft. But when Jesus is at the center of your life, you can pray to God about your stress. You can pray to God about the anxiety in your life. And you don't have to use money and spend money in such a way to help alleviate your stress. Now, we're talking about planning your spending. I think um, Pastor Chris, I know he mentioned earlier that we're giving away three copies of the Dave Ramsey book. So drop, drop the connection card in the basket when it comes around. It looks like this. And when we give the offering together today, drop that in the basket. We're going to give it away. But however you do it, whether you get a book or talk to your community group, you've got to learn to plan your spending. All right. The third biblical secret for financial peace. Save for my future. The Bible is so clear on this point that you're supposed to put aside a portion of what you make for the future. And the general guideline is this. I give 10, I save 10, and I live on the rest. I give 10%, I save 10%, and I live on the rest. If you have debt, you may have to change that up. You may have to pay off that debt first before you can save in a serious way, but you have to, in some sense, always be saving for the future. And if saving is wise, according to the Bible, not saving, spending everything you make, is foolish. Proverbs 6 says this, uh, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. You didn't know that word was in the Bible, did you? That's a theological term. <laughs> Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. Ants know to save for the winter. And so here's the question of Proverbs 6, are you smarter than an ant? That's the, that's the question of Proverbs 6, right? Here, but I want to share with you another verse on the same topic that is so brutal. I love, I love the way it puts it in the Living Bible. Proverbs 21, 20 says, The wise man saves for the future. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Brutal. I mean, it's like, that is rough, isn't it? But I don't know about you, but I've had months where I was stupid with my money, and I spent everything I made, or I spent more than I made. And like, I get it, you know, emergencies happen, but so many times it's like, oh, I like that jacket. Hey, that's a nice watch. Man, I really don't want to cook tonight. And we get to the end of the month, and you look at the bills, and you look at the account, and you go, that was, that was stupid. That was stupid. You've got to save for your future. You've got to save for your future. And this is related to financial peace, because if you don't have savings Everything is an emergency. Dave Ramsey's first baby step is save an emergency fund as fast as you can. He says, save a $1,000 emergency fund as fast as you can. If you can't do that, save a $500. If you can't do that, save $100. Get a second job, drive Uber, Uber Eats, Judith can teach you. I mean, whatever it takes, right? It's like, get out there. And I love that hustle, right? Of saying like, I'm gonna have an emergency fund. I'm not gonna be the person where everything that happens is an emergency to me. You guys heard of Murphy's Law? If something can go wrong, what? It will. Murphy follows around people without savings. That's true. And when you have savings, things tend not to go as wrong as much. But the, the minute you have no savings, everything collapses, everything tends to go wrong. 
Proverbs 13, 11 talks about this principle of saving for the future. It says, money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. This helps bring peace in your life because one of the ways that, mo- that money saved grows is through interest. And I heard it said a long time ago that there's only two kinds of people in the world, people who pay interest and people who get paid interest. And I decided I wanted to be one of the people who get paid interest. Because you know that thing that rich people do where they take money and they turn it into more money? That's what I'm going for. <laughs> money doesn't get sick. It doesn't get injured. It doesn't take a day off. But the only way to make interest on money is to save for my future. So if you don't have an emergency fund, get there as fast as you can. If you need to get a second job, get a second job, get that done, and after you get that emergency fund, you can start saving for real. Okay, so our first three biblical secrets for financial peace, keep good records, plan my spending, save for the future. And these three things can be done by anybody. You Obviously, you don't have to believe in God to open a savings account at East Boston Savings Bank. But this fourth Secret for financial peace from the Bible is the most counterintuitive. Absolutely. Return 10% to God. Here's the question. How does giving away money lead to more financial peace? It's a fair question. And the answer is, God wants you to trust him, and he wants to bless you for trusting him. God loves blessing generous people. It's just a principle from the Bible that's true. As, as, as sure as saving money is a good financial principle, giving God his full 10% is a good financial principle because God loves blessing it. Now, when I get any money in my life, I give 10% to God, I save 10%, I live on the rest. And I've done that. I was lucky enough. I was blessed enough. I don't believe in luck. I was blessed enough to be taught this at 17 when I was in a church. And I was working um, maybe as a lifeguard, and I did some nighttime security work, and, and, and I, I gave my tithe. Now, tithe means 10%. 8% not a tithe. 11% is above a tithe. Tithe means 10, 10%. So when I was working as a lifeguard, I gave my tithe, and it was like, you know, like $15 or $20 or something like that. And... Having that principle in my life, I've watched God bless us, not just financially, because I still don't drive a Cadillac. I mean, I sold one car and drive a Honda Pilot with over 100,000 miles, right? I'm still waiting for the Cadillac. That's not why I tithe, right? As a pastor, and I I think pastors don't often talk about this enough, because I want to speak personally, because it's a little awkward, isn't it? Like when pastors talk about this, it's a little awkward, The church pays me, but I give money back to the church. Why? You know why? Because I want God to bless my finances. Because I have to develop the disciplines of generosity in my life. I want to be a generous person because I have to trust God with my money. And then on top of that, I actually have this belief that I don't believe God will bless our church financially if I'm not personally being obedient financially. And I want God to bless our church. I believe in it. And that's why I've always done it. You see, God promises to bless people who tithe. Now, if you just give God whatever you have left over at the end of the month, that's, that's tipping God. God doesn't, God doesn't need your tips. 
And if you're not tithing, then God's not blessing 100% of your finances. But God promises to bless those who tithe. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow. Here's the truth. You can live better on 90% of your income with God involved in your finances than you can on 100% of your income without God involved in your finances. That's the truth. That's the truth. Why 10%? I have no idea, actually. You know, God could have said 50%, 90%, 100%. I mean, it all belongs to God. It all comes from God. God could have said any number he wanted to. He picked 10% as a number that requires trust. And he said, keep 90% to save, to enjoy, to provide for your needs, to help other people, to meet the needs of your family, and return 10% to me. And God wants to accomplish a lot in your life through tithing. Here's three purposes of tithing. These are in your notes already. The first one is gratitude for my past. Tithing reminds me that God's brought me this far, and every day of my life up to this moment, he provided enough for me to live. And I know that because I'm still here. It reminds me that God provided for me. Tithing is a reminder for my present. Tithing reminds me that money isn't everything and that there are more important things in money in this world that you can only gain by letting go of money. And tithing's a step of faith for my future. It's a, it is a declaration that God will provide. He will. And you only discover these blessings when you let go of control and you find that when you loosen your grip of, on money, money loosens its grip on you and on your life. And you, you get back to that place where instead of finances running your life, you're running your finances. This is tithing. And you know, um, one, of the, one of the most fascinating things about tithing to me in the Bible is that this is the only area in which God invites people to test him. Did you know that? That in general, um, the principle is don't test God. God doesn't say, hey, test me in the area of um, sexual purity before marriage. God doesn't say, hey, test me in this area of greed and just we'll see how it goes. But when it, when it comes to financial faithfulness, God invites people to test him. In Malachi 3.10, it's our memory verse for today. It says this, bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn so there will be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord all-powerful. Circle that phrase in your notes. Test me in this. And he says, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. And I want to challenge you today to take, to take God at his word, take, to test God in this, and to tithe. We, we have something at the church we call the three-month tithe challenge, which is for the next 90 days... I'm gonna figure out what my tithe is. I'm gonna tithe for 90 days. I'm gonna test God. I'm gonna take him, take him up on his invitation, accept the challenge, and give, and see if God doesn't bless me. I'm not promising you're gonna get rich. I haven't gotten rich, but I have found God's blessing in my life. And I found that God has always given me what I needed and above and beyond. So you accept the tithe challenge today. And in fact, how you do that is on the back of your connection card. Can you take this out for a sec? It says, the third box down, it says, my next step today is to accept the three-month tithe challenge. 
And I've been praying for our church in this. And if you're a guest here today, listen, I know you're, you know, this is, this is a lot for you, but if Renewal Church is your, your spiritual family, that you're a regular attender here or a member here, this is something I'm, I'm willing to cash my, my credits in as a pastor and say like, I want this for you. I want you to experience this. I want you to experience this blessing. I want you to test God in this for 90 days because I know from experience that you will discover God blesses you when you're obedient to God's word. And so check the box today. Drop it in the offering basket. We're gonna send you some resources. We're gonna check in along the way with you. We're gonna encourage you. To those of you who are already tithing, thank you. Keep it up. Keep going. Learn to become an extraordinarily extravagant giver, right? Because God's, God's goal for us is not just to hit a number or follow a law, but to develop the heart of God of radical generosity. And so if you wanna know how to do this, it's really simple. You need to figure out how, you, how much you make and you give 10%. If you get paid monthly, you give monthly. If you get paid every two weeks, you give every two weeks. Is, some people would say, is it before taxes or after taxes? And I always think that's a little bit like asking, um, uh, should I get my mom a half dozen roses for Mother's Day or a dozen roses for Mother's Day? It's like, dude, you're asking the question's weird. <laughs> you know, I always try to honor God in my life before I honor the government, and so I always give before taxes, right? I, personally, I automate my giving because it's important to me. And you can automate your giving through the giving envelopes. You can do it through the app or online. Because in, in January, you know when I get really pumped up about working out? I'm sure nobody else is like this. But for me, in January, I'm like, I'm gonna, this is the year I'm gonna have a six-pack, um, and then it's just all heartbreak and Cheetos from there. I mean, but when I go to sign up for the gym, I don't show up and they say, how would you like to pay? And I say, you know what? I'll just bring a check every time I remember. Like, I, I never say that. You know why? Number one, I don't know where my checks are, okay? I have no idea where my checks are in my house. But number two, it's a value to me and I don't wanna, I, I don't wanna worry about it or forget about it. I wanna just, so I just, I put it on my credit card. It comes every month and I just pay off my credit card every month. That's how I do it. It's a value to me. And so I do giving to the church the same way. I automate my giving every time. And then when I get extra money, I give that to the church too. Um, Heather and I got a little bit of extra money this week. And so we have to tithe $7.50 above and beyond our regular giving. And that's the most important $7.50 we will handle all week. You know why? Because it's not my money. That's God's money. I mean, that won't even get you a number one at McDonald's anymore because of inflation, I don't know, it has something to do with socialism, I don't know. Listen, it's, it is the most important $7.50 that we will handle all week because it's God's money. Tithing is that important. And so I wanna encourage you as your pastor to accept the tithe challenge for 90 days. And there's always gonna be excuses, there's always gonna be reasons not to do it. You say, when I get a better job, when I get more money, when I live somewhere cheaper, I've heard that one before in Boston. <laughs> when I graduate school, when I cash out of my business, there will always be excuses, but let me tell you this. I've done this at other churches for the last 13 years. I've literally never had a single person come back and say, I really regret honoring God with my finances. It was a huge mistake. No one's ever said it, never. And yet every time we do this, we ask people for the stories of how God blessed them in their life and people come back over and over and over again and say, you wouldn't believe how God provided for us. So accept the challenge today. All right, the fifth and final principle and the shortest, enjoy what I have. Write that down, that's the back of your notes. Enjoy what I have. 
You know, one of the greatest secrets to financial peace is contentment. You know, kind of the emphasis of this is, uh, like, not enjoy what you have, because we don't need much encouragement to do that. It's enjoy what you have. Contentment is one of the biblical secrets of financial peace. Uh, Ecclesiastes 6, 9, it says, it's better to enjoy what we have than to always want something else. That verse is where we get this point from. Listen, there's always an upgrade. There's always a reason to go for the luxury model. There's, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about luxury coats and I've decided not to name brands because I know some of you are wearing them, right? Like, it's like, they're not that much warmer, <laughs> But we always have reasons. Like, we always have reasons why we have to get the upgrade. Like, you have to get the, the next thing. You're like, oh, man, wait till you get, like, heated seats in your car. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't like that. It feels like, I, feels like I peed in my seat. I just, I don't want to do that. We, we always have reasons, excuses, something. Like There's always a reason that we're not content with what we have. And then we see what everybody else has, and we think, oh, man, I would finally be happy. I would enjoy my life so much if I were like that. And Instagram's made it a million times worse, let's be honest. It's hard to enjoy what you have. When you can't enjoy what you have, you cannot have peace. You'll feel unhappy and you'll act ungrateful. In contrast to that, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 5, be content with what you have. So just practically, if this is you, if that's part of your wiring and part of your makeup, um, you might need to literally list out on paper the things you have that you're thankful for. I don't know, maybe you need to do the Marie Kondo deal where you put all your stuff in the middle of the floor and you just start thanking things, right? No, as Christians, we thank God for the things that he's given us in our life. We, we, we're content with what we have. And when you find contentment, you have peace. In the back, they're like, who's Marie Kondo? She's a thing. It's Netflix. You'll see. It's going to be awesome. You've got to enjoy what you've got. Okay, that's it. I mean, will you follow these principles, you will discover peace in your life. But I want to close with this for just a second. Kirk closes. Here we go. You want financial peace. We all need financial peace. It's tiring. It's exhausting to be stressed out, to be anxious, to be worried, to be juggling bills. Like, nobody wants to live like that. But you're not going to find financial peace, not really, until you have peace with God. And let me tell you why. Because until you have peace with God, you will be expecting money to do for things for you that money cannot do for you. You know, you'll, you'll be expecting money to be your security for the future. I mean, some of the richest people I've known in my life came from very, very poor backgrounds, and it drove them to make more money so that they would feel secure because they know what it's like not to have money, right? Expecting money to give, give you security. But really, security comes from, from God. Having all the money in the world does not mean automatic security. Some of you are using money to try to tell you that you're a success in life. Some of you are using money to try to prove your stepdad wrong. Like you're never going to amount to anything, so you're going to go out there and you're going to try to earn as much money as you can to prove people wrong. Money can't do that. That's not a thing money does. Some of you are trying to earn enough money to, just feel, to, to get that comfort in your soul, to feel, to feel calm and good, to deal with the stress in your life. Money can't do that. You are trusting in money. And the, according to the Bible, when Jesus talked about money, one of the most famous things he ever said was you cannot serve both God and money. 
You can't put your trust in money and your trust in God. And the human heart is always tempted to do this. We are so tempted to put our trust in money that as a society, we put little reminders on our money not to do this. What does your money say? It says, in God we trust. We had to remind ourselves on our money not to trust in money. When you find peace with God, your security comes from God. You, you, you know, your, your sense of success and significance in this world comes from honoring and pleasing God. What people say about you or what people said about you or what people said you could amount to or couldn't amount to, none of that matters. What, what matters is what God says about you. And the Bible says that the way to peace with God is through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross so that your sin could be forgiven, so that your mistakes could be wiped away and your intentional sins could be wiped away. He rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life with God. He gives you a new heart. He gives you the Holy Spirit to make you a generous person, to long to be generous like God is generous. When, when you have that peace with God that comes through Jesus, you know what money is? It's just money. It's just money. It, that money's not telling you whether you're a success, whether you're a big deal, whether, yeah, it's just money. And when it's just money, you can give it away, you can save it, you can tell it what to do, and you can manage your finances because your finances will no longer be managing your life. And I want that for you as your pastor. To not be, to be, not be always crushed by that lack of financial peace in your life. I want you to have, I want you to manage well what God has given you to prepare you for eternity, to, to make sure you're in a place where you can be as radically crazy generous as you wanna be. Where you're not thinking about the bills, you're not thinking about the credit card, you know, the interest rates, and that you have peace. You have peace. That's what I want for you. So that money's not running your life. Instead, money's serving a higher purpose in your life, pleasing God.